And so we need to face reality because facing reality, facing the end helps us walk today. We need to begin, as Stephen Covey said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, by being proactive. We must begin with the end in mind. And he says, this is a Mormon. He stole our stuff. To begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means to know where you're going so that you better understand where you are now so that the steps you take are always in the right direction. How silly of it would have been for Derek to start running the other way when the gun went off. Dr. John Piper says in his book, God is the Gospel, nothing fits a person to be more useful on earth than to be more ready for heaven. This is true because of the readiness for heaven means taking pleasure in beholding the Lord Jesus. Nothing would bless this world more than people who are more like Christ. For in likeness to Christ, the world might see Christ. The world needs nothing more than to see the worth of Christ in the words and works of his God-besotted people. This will come to pass when the church awakens to the truth that the saving love of God is the gift of himself. That, my friends, is Christmas. That's the true view of Christmas. That the saving love of God is the gift of himself. And so the question I asked back when we were looking at the life of Abraham, I'll ask again today, are we prepared to die? Do we think about death? Not in a morbid way, but we don't ignore it. There are some who think too much about it and they become paralyzed. There are others who are invincible and don't think enough about it. But thinking through the end of your life will help you live your life well until the end. And what you have here is a guy, you have a guy that went out. He went out uh, a trickster. He went out fearful. He went out faithless. And he comes back changed. Yes, he's coming home with a limp but it's a glorious end. And so let's look at just death real quick, and then we'll look at how to finish well. Verse 8, it said, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he's called its name Alan Bakuth. We don't know much about Deborah, not at all. But I think that's the reason this is here. It's just she died. Death is inevitable. We're not told much about her, but what we do know about her is that she died. If you look at 18 through 21, and it's talking about uh, Rachel, it says her soul was departing, for she was dying. She called his name when she was in Ben-Anoi, but his father called him Benjamin. As she was giving birth to her last son, she called him son of my sorrow. But Jacob led well, and he said, no, this is going to be son of my right hand, my strength, my honor. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. He performs a funeral. He does what is right. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And so in her pain, we can see that not only is death inevitable, but death is sorrowful. We're not to approach the, the idea, the concept of death flippantly. Oh, God love... How many people tried to help my mother when my father died or, or my, my brother when he lost his son? God love them. They're trying to be helpful. But people said things to my mother in the airport and they say things. They're, not, they're, they're well-intentioned. Their hearts are in the right place. But they don't think through what they say. And they don't understand that you can't just write it off with a, with a verse, uh, though verses do help. Don't, don't miss that point. But you can't be flippant. Death, death is inevitable. Death is sorrowful. 
But look at 28 and 29. Death is also purposeful. Uh, often, and you, you've, if you've been at Eagle Bible Church for any amount of time, uh, you know that this is not something, um, we're, it's not, not uncommon, it's not new to us. I've been here for three years. I've buried three infants. It's inevitable, it's sorrowful, but it's purposeful because when those people gather together, it, death often brings families back together and you see it in 28 and 29. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last and he died and he was gathered to his people old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It brought the family back together. Death is purposeful. And if you have a handout, you see Philippians 1.27, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So yes, it is absolutely inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. It is most profoundly sorrowful. It is pain, but it's purposeful. Paul, Paul said it like this, to live as Christ while I'm here on earth, I'm going to live for Jesus. To die, it's gain. And he goes on to say, in a, two more verses from there, it's far better. I'm, this is what Paul says, I'm struggling here because to be with you and to be with you, we can go on and we can do ministry together, but to be with Jesus, you can just, can you see him right in that? He just gets a smile on his face. Oh, it's far better. So death is purposeful. It reminds us of our humanity that even faithful forefathers die. What was neat about this is not only does it remind us of our humanity, but it gives a picture of God's mercy. If we go back a couple chapters, Isaac's on his deathbed, and that's where Jacob steals the blessing. He's on his deathbed. It's not until 20 years later that he actually goes home to be with the Lord. Yeah, I believe Isaac was a believer. So it's a picture of God's mercy nestled in here When you see that in 29, you see a glimpse of God's mercy. He gave him 20 more years. But here's the the purpose, the biggest, the ultimate purpose of death. Death may be the finish line here on earth, but it is the door to eternity. When we die, life really, honestly, it just begins. John 5, 24, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus, it says you have, present tense, eternal life. Meaning it's started. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You are a, you are a new person. And you're going to live forever with God. That should blow you away. Meaning, you mean to tell me that Jesus came. We just sang a song about O Holy Night. He, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he came as the, in the form of a man. The, the Son of God became a son of man to take the sin of men so that men could be sons of God. Yeah. It's the door to eternity. Life, life really began. This is, as much as it is inevitable, as much as it is sorrowful, we, we have to go like my aunt who had a peace in her eyes. She wasn't on her deathbed struggling, and she just, you just saw it in her face. She's going home forever, eternity, to be with Jesus. It's the door to eternity. It's the finish line here on earth, but it's the door to eternity. And so each end brings a new beginning, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, season to season. 
sermon series to sermon series, small group to small group. Each end brings a new beginning. And understanding the reality of death, that it's inevitable and sorrowful, but it's purposeful, will help us finish well. Will help us finish well. And that's why you begin with death. But here's how you finish well. Jacob's, though limping, is going to show us how to finish well. Verse 1, it says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so what you're going to see in this first verse is God's initiating call. Notice, it is God who initiates. It's not Jacob wakes up and says, you know, I think I ought to go home. It says here, arise, go up. Boy, remember when we went through the book of Jonah? Arise, go. God initiates, God calls, God does it. God says, get up, go there. Do you remember where Bethel is? Go there, make an altar there. Seems like Jacob doesn't seem interested. He's saying, wake up, get up. So God takes the lead in our return. God takes the initiative in our lives. Bruce Walkie says, in actuality, there's only one obstacle to the fulfillment of God's promise. (laughs) The sin of his covenant people. Like, thank you, Bruce. I would probably actually call him Dr. Walkie because I don't know him personally. Abraham failed in Egypt. Isaac failed in Gerar. Jacob failed at Shechem. But this should be the most encouraging thing to every person in here. God doesn't give up on his people. He says, get up, go home. And he doesn't give up on us. So what does Jacob do? Verse 2, Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. You see God's initiating call. You see Jacob's immediate response. He sounds like a New Testament author, doesn't he? Put away the foreign gods. Purify yourselves. It sounds like Peter. Put away all these things and hunger for the pure milk of the word. He sounds like Paul. Uh, Put off all those things and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He sounds like Paul in Galatians. Uh, your, Your flesh wages war. Put to death those things. And so we respond. Finishing well means returning where God wants us to be. Finishing well means returning to where God wants us to be. He initiates the call. We respond. And sometimes, just like Jacob, you have to relocate. You have to go somewhere. You're saying, really, do you have to move? I'm saying sometimes, not all the time, sometimes you may have to move. I believe. (laughs) I'm in Dallas. I've been saved. I'd been broken. And I, I was at a singles Bible study, and I felt the Lord's initiating call, you need to go. And so I went to my buddies, my college buddies, five of them, yeah, I'm actually going to move. What are you doing? Well, here's where you get real bold. I'm going to quit my job. Arthur Anderson? Seriously? Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do? I'm going to, going to Denton. I'm in Dallas, right? Okay. Uh, trying to think of a comparison. Denver. Kansas, or I was just thinking of a city outside, like uh, what's 40 miles east on the plains? 
Lyman, Lyman, perfect. You're leaving Den. You're leaving that and going to Lyman. Uh huh. Going to Denton. Why? Here's the big one. Yeah, those first two were easy. Quitting my job, moving out. Why? Because <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna study this. Are you in a cult? No. I, I was asked that. <laughs> I was asked that by them, and then I told my mother what I was doing, and her, our neighbor at the time said, "Is he in? A, is he in a cult?" I'm like, really? So much so, it's so odd in our culture to actually study the scripture, <laughs> to give up part of your life to go study. He's cultish. Uh, no, you may have to move. You may have to move. And then he says in three, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. You see God's initiating call, Jacob's immediate response, and Jacob's instructive leadership. He's not just going by himself. He's taking his family with him. He says, we're going home. And look what he says. Let's rise and go to Bethel. We're going home. And when we get there, we're going to start a church. We're going to make an altar to God. So when we get home, we're going to church. We're going to move. We're going to get involved in a church. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and all the rings that were in their ears. There's some discussion. Are they foreign gods and rings in the ears of Jacob's people or are they foreign gods with gods that had rings in their ears? The point is, whatever it was, they, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Finishing well means we return to where God wants us to be. He initiates the call. We immediately respond. And right here, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We put behind us our idolatrous past. That if you were to flip back to 31, 34, you remember that when we went through that awkward chapter? Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle, and then she sat on them and made the whole excuse, it's that time of the month. Jacob says, let's put those away, and he buries them under a tree. It's the picture of death. He said, no more are we going to live like that. Romans 3 says, if by the Spirit, that's who gives us the power, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Be killing sin, said John Owen, or it will be killing you. And so what are our idols? Jacob, they had foreign gods. They had little figurines. Maybe some of them had earrings in them. I don't know. Maybe it's academic success. Oh, right now, I'm three minutes behind. Last week it was at Jerry World. Maybe it's Sports Authority Field. Right? There will be people who will go and they will bring their sacrifice beef offering to tailgate. And then they will walk in. They will have no sense of Jesus Christ whatsoever, but they will worship. Worship. Oh, maybe it's your job. Right? It's an idol in your life. It's set up there. And idols are anything in your life that take the place of God and you bow down and worship them. Maybe it's your lifestyle. It's the lifestyle. I live the lifestyle. Look at our paper. It's all about lifestyle. Uh, Maybe it's TV. Maybe that's your escape. Maybe it's sports. Oh, if I can just do this, if I can just get here, 
if I can just make this team, if I can just win this game. Young people, maybe it's academic success, I don't know, but I've been there, I've done that. Played the sport, was the best at my sport, could have played college sports in my sport, made the good grades, did all that, and had nothing, nothing, nothing to show for it, nothing. Except my ankles really hurt now when I run. Because I played soccer and twisted my ankle and I was young and not very smart then and not now even. And it's just, well, I'm just going to push through it. I'm going to be a man. No, you need the ice, rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. No, nothing to show for it. Not a thing. I worked at one, let me just, can I boast a little bit for the sake, like Paul, of boasting for the sake of illustration. I worked at one of the most prestigious companies in the world. I have absolutely nothing to show for it. Nothing. Eh, three suits. What's your idols? Shopping? If I can just buy this, if I have this one item, then mm, politics. Oh, if my candidate's in place. <laughs> Trendy clothes? Michael Jackson? Right? As much as people will go to Sports Authority Field or Jerry World or somewhere like that, uh, when he died... I don't know if you watched the news on that, but it was atrocious. It was atrocious. Oh, Michael, he's a a man. Yes, and had a lot of surgeries. And he had a lot of issues. And you worshipped him like he were God. What, What are the idols of our hearts? Anyone or anything that takes the place of God, bury it as Jacob did. And as they journeyed in verse 5, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now, that terror could have been one of two things. It could have been God going before the people and speaking to the people and saying, my people are coming through and I'm God, don't touch them. Or it could have been their reputation preceded them because what happened just in the chapter right before? Two guys destroyed a whole town deceitfully. But, I mean, that other cities are going to hear about that. Don't mess with the, the Jacob boys. <laughs> They'll do this whole circumcision thing. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. This is the God, the house of God, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. I had originally, my main point was finishing well means returning to where God wants us to be. And in reviewing this, I had to ask, add another one. Because Jacob said in verse 3, this is what we're doing. And in verse 7, this is what he did. Finishing well men means staying faithful to your word. Staying faithful to your word. Even if Psalm 15.4 means you swear to your own hurt and it doesn't change. That means if today I was supposed to go help somebody do something at 11 o'clock, and I just found out that the Cowboys were playing at 11 o'clock. I don't try to finagle my way out of it. Oh, can we do it? Like, you swear to your own hurt. You need me to chop your firewood, I'll chop your firewood. Sure, we can't do it at like three. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You just go do it. You swear to your own hurt. But we live in a culture that doesn't want to uh, make any plans because if the rightly, we know if we say it, we've got to do it. Jacob said it and he did it. Finishing well means staying faithful to your word. And once you return, finishing well means remembering who we are, who God is, and what our mission is on earth. Look at verse 9. 
God appeared to Jacob again. And then he, when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him three times, God has appeared to Jacob. He appeared once on the stairway to heaven, Jacob's ladder to save him. You are mine. He appeared a second time as a wrestler, got down in good wrestling form to break him. And here he reminds him, he rebukes him, he exhorts him, he admonishes him. And God said to him, maybe Jacob, maybe the reason you didn't make it all the way to Bethel and you're not going home to the land of your people, maybe it's because you forgot who you were. And I think that we can forget who we are. And so God said to him, by the way, bub, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. He'd already done that. And he's saying to him, I'm reminding you of who you are. So not only does God come and he reminds us of who we are, next verse, he reminds us of who he is. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. I love that. He reminds Jacob, here's who you are. You're Israel. You are the man who striped with God and from people and you, and you prevailed. That, doesn't mean, that means from now on you will be blessed because you're prevailing in the power of God, not in your own power, Jacob. And lest you forget who I am, I am God Almighty. I am, as some translations say, God of the hosts, the Lord of hosts. Here's who you are and here's who I am. I am the all-powerful God. I can do anything I want. And then that all-powerful God connects it right back to creation. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. He's not only the all-powerful God, he is the missional God. And he's saying to Jacob, in his physic- he says, you need to be physically fruitful and multiply. But I think he's telling Jacob, Jacob's getting old. Jacob's limping. I think Jacob needs to go and tell his kids, here's who we are. We're the people of God. And let me tell you about him. He is almighty. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipowerful. He can do whatever he wants. And he chose us. And can you imagine the people of Israel reading this? Not necessarily at this time, but where they are getting ready to go into that conquer the land. And they're reading this and they're saying, wow, we are the people of God. And he's all, why did he choose us? Is it because we're great? No, you were smaller than other people. I chose you, Deuteronomy 7, because I love you. And he goes on, he tells them about his promises. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. You need to pass this on, Jacob. You need to be teaching and training the next generation about the goodness and the greatness of God. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him. And so God departs. <clears throat> he may be gone, in his physical presence, but he is, he is there. And I think that's one of the things, I, I think I sent it in a weekly email. We need to, we just need to, like a good mint, just suck on that for a little bit and meditate on it. You mean God, God isn't here physically, but he's, he's here? Oh yeah, he's here. In fact, we get it, we don't, we read too quickly over First uh, Timothy 1 or Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. But I want him to perform miracles. He may, but he's still here. And so the visible God performs in miracle. The invisible God performs through providence. And in God's eyes, it doesn't matter. It's still, he's still God and he's still at work. Oh, but we long for such um, experiential 
times with the Lord. As if emotion or a visible representation is better than just saying, here's who you are and here's what you should do. He goes on and he tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And I think personally, I'll just this is like a sermon within a sermon, please forgive me. I think personally, if we get it up here, God is who he says he is and I am supposed to be who he's called me to be. And that this, every time, this is what blows me away. Every time I sit down with this, every time I open this, God is speaking. Every time. I think that'll change the way we approach the Bible. I don't think we'll even have to have Bible reading plans. I think we'll go, really? He's speaking in there? I want to, I can't wait. I can't wait for this guy to just, I mean, he looks nice there in his tie and his sweater, but I want him to shut up so I can go home and read this and be... serious. It, then it, it's why I just don't know if I can get a chapter a day. Or, you, you'll just go. You'll long. Oh, the Lord has laid upon my, I just want to read 1 Corinthians. What chapter? I just want to read the whole thing. That's going to take a while. I know, but it's God. Me and God talking. He speaks to me. I speak to him in prayer. Sermon with a sermon. Now we're back. Verse 14, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering, the idea of celebration, and he poured oil on it, the idea of reverence. Jacob worships God. And so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him Bethel. He memorializes the place. Do you have a special place? Do you have a place where where you could take your kids and you can say, this is right here where God and I did business? I could take my kids to Prestonwood Baptist Church and say, right here's where I, by God's grace and in his sovereign plan, I met a guy named Tom Nelson. And it's right here where I sat in this fellowship hall where a guy named Tony Evans talked about being broken. And right here, right here is where I walked away. And I said, I've never been broken. And then children, your daddy lost his father. And then I could take them to Denton, and I, they've seen it. I could take them to soccer fields, and I can show them, kids, this is where Daddy went when he was struggling in life. This is just that safe place where he could go and just kick the ball. They actually had a basketball court to some of you. Surprise, I played basketball and prayed. Same time, shooting baskets. Oh, God, what am I to do? Oh, no good. He said, you're not going to the NBA. Do you have a special place? Tell your kids about it. And then in verse 16, they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephra, Rachel went into labor. She had a hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. Do not fear, for you have another son. Rachel, her prayer in 3024. Do you remember that? She prayed a prayer. She said, May the Lord add to me another son. God answers her prayer. And so when we return to God, we go to where he wants us to be. Part of my, and I mean this really seriously, part of my returning to God was leaving, physically relocating from one city to the next, but moving outside the bar scene and getting into the church. That I returned to where I was supposed to be. God wanted me at church. Because he knew that that is his divine institution and he was going to work through that. And thank you for... Jack Graham and Tommy Nelson and um, other men in that city that God used because I went back to where I was supposed to be. And in where I was supposed to be, I was reminded of who I was, who God is, and my mission on 
earth. And once we do a lot, do that, once we get back to where we're supposed to be and we realize who we're supposed to be, we start realizing the grace around us. Verse 22, while Israel lived in the land, this is awkward, Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, we're going along. This is great. What just happened? Yeah, sin. Sin. God's people disappoint. People will disappoint you at the most random times in the most random ways, and here it is. Uh, Reuben is not just some playboy. He's not Aston Kutcher. What he's trying to do is usurp the throne. He's trying to get in there, and he says, you know what? Family's in a little disarray. Mom's dead. Why don't I just move in and try to make it to the top? Awkward. But we realize the grace in that if you look at the rest of 22 all the way through 26. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Do you notice who these men are? Okay, you've got a usurper, firstborn. You've got murderers, second and thirdborn. You're going to have trouble with all of them in the next section we look at. These are the men through whom the nation would come. These are the men. There are 12 thrones set for them, and then you get 12 disciples. These aren't superheroes. We tend to think... All the people in the Bible, they're superheroes. Jacob is no superhero. Abraham is no superhero. Isaac is no superhero. No leotards, no capes. Marvel Comics would not have had these guys. They had to do what? They had to deceive and use this whole circumcision and mock a holy ordinance? to get. No, we don't do that. Not at Marvel Comics. What? This guy? No, he's a trickster, deceiver? Mm-mm. Not here at D.C. Why is this here? And Jacob in 27 came to his father Isaac at Mamre at Kiriath Arba, that is where Isaac and Abraham and Isaac sojourned. It's Jacob comes home and we see in full circle, we sit back and we go, here's a guy who went out empty, he went out fearful, and he went out a trickster. And he comes back full, he comes back faithful, and he comes back a forefather. Not perfect. And you and I are see this and say, these are just normal, sinful people living in a dysfunctional family. Does that resonate with anybody? (laughs) Some of you come from this, and some of you don't. So I'm not saying this is everybody. Praise God, and we can take a stand and make a new generation where it doesn't have to happen this way, right? No four wives. Ethan, not four, just one. Right? That's what we teach them. Descriptive, not prescriptive. That's all they got from that one sermon. Praise be to God. Right? God can do anything, anything. Through any family. He just showed us here. We realize his grace. Finishing well means returning to where we should be, um, remembering who we are, who God is, and why we're here. And then finally, realizing grace and just resolving to live for God in spite, uh, to the, faithful to the end, in spite of ongoing sin. Jacob could have said, time out, Reuben, and done something. He just moves on. said, Israel heard of it. He moved on. 
And so you see, if you've got a handout, the truths of the text, there's seven of them. You can go through there and it would be good to line up. Each truth is taken from the paragraph. But you're saying to yourself, where's Jesus in this? Give me Jesus. You've given me a dysfunctional family. You've given me a guy who's responded to God. Where's Jesus? Well, look again at 19. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. First mentioned right here in Scripture. Mentioned a number of about 47 times. And so you have the matriarch, one of the mothers, dying. She gives birth to a son, and you're going to have a family. And from that family, from that nation, will come a king. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 12. It says this, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite in Bethlehem, and his name was Jesse, who had eight sons in the days of Saul, a man who was old and advanced in years. So from that nation would come a king. What at 35? Did I have something up there wrong? Here's the verse I want to get you to. From a nation would come a king. It's Christmas time. The classic, the most profound verse in the Bible, Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. He's pre-Christ. A long way away from Jesus. And from that place where Rachel died, Where a nation dies, a Savior would be born. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. And we'll read it, I'm sure, on Christmas Eve, Matthew 2. Famous passage where they say this was written to fulfill that. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You mean to tell me God was working it out way back in Jacob's day? How he would get from that family through Judah to a specific city? He's that powerful? Well, if you followed along this week in the Christmas Advent, Good News of Great Joy, you would have read this. Have you ever thought what... An amazing thing it is for God ordained beforehand that the Messiah be born in Bethlehem as the prophecy of Micah 5. And that he had so ordained things that when the time came, the Messiah's mother and legal father were living in Nazareth. And that in order to fulfill his word and to bring two little people to Bethlehem that first Christmas, God put it in the heart of Caesar Augustus. Augustus, in in his pride, says, I want to take a census of the world. I want to see how powerful I am. For it's implicit in Scripture that all the mammoth political forces and all the giant industrial complexes, without even knowing it, are being guided by God, not for their own sake, but for God's little people. I love this. God wields, an, God wields like a sword an empire to bless his children. Is God in control? Absolutely. Finishing well means returning to where God wants you to be. Finishing well means remembering who you are, whose you are, and what mission you're on. And finishing well means realizing and resolving to live by God's grace. And you do that only because Jesus is the greater Abraham. He is the greater Isaac. He is the greater Jacob. Yea, he is even the greater Benjamin, son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. Does that ever show up in Scripture again? Hebrews 
1, 1 through 3, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance, verse 3, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications of sins, he sat down at the what? At the Benjamin, the right hand of God the son of my strength, the son of my power, the son of my glory. Jesus is the greater Benjamin. And so you can see these truths in the text. You can see these connection to Jesus, that he is the greater of all that family. He is the fulfillment of all those promises. How does that relate to you and I? And so if you're following along on the back, it says the truth is the text applied to life. You see an R with a space. Just leave it there for a few minutes. Number one, finishing well means returning to where God wants us to be. Are you where God wants you to be right now? Is everybody here in every part of their life where God wants you to be right now? If not, may I give you a nice R word? It's a good R word. I'm going to show you how wonderful it is. It's called repent. That's what Jacob had to do. He had gotten comfortable in Shechem so much so that God said, Get up. Now go. Jacob didn't argue with him. He didn't say, I, I don't, I'm not... Can you explain that to me a little more? I'm getting educated here in Shechem, and I'm not quite sure what your word means when you say arise and go. Does that mean arise and go, or does that mean kind of take your time, sleep? Get up, go. And so for some of us, it means we repent. Like the prodigal son, when he comes to his senses in Luke 15, he says, you know what, I'm going home. Because I know when I go home, And he runs home, he had memorized this thing to give, and it's such a beautiful picture of God. God's looking for him. He comes after him. He's running to him. And he says, Father, I have sinned, and he embraces him. He doesn't even give a chance to tell God what he's going to do for him. The God just consumes him. The father hugs the son. He says, get him a robe, get him his shoes, get him the ring. He's back. And you know what happens every time you repent? I think we have it up there, Acts 3, 19 through 21. When you and I repent, oh, this, is, this should forever change your life. You should never want to hide behind not repenting. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Just memorize one, two, three, four, five, six. That times of refreshing may come. You mean to tell me when I get honest before God and my peers, when I get honest before people, and when I repent that times of refreshing come? Yeah. Times of refreshing comes when we repent. That's what happened to Jacob. The rest of his life is going to be refreshing. He's not fighting God. He's not wrestling with God anymore. He's resting in God. And do you know what happens? There's a freedom. You're not hiding. So are you and I in a habit of daily repentance? If not, I would ask you to come home to Jesus this Christmas to bow the knee. Finishing well means remembering who God is, who we are, and what mission we're on. Do you know who you are? Do you know who God is? And do you know what your mission is? Because if we repent, then we need to renew our faith. We need to believe again. By the way, repentance isn't just a one-time act. It's a daily, it's ongoing every day. It's believing again. It's not just, well, I believe back in... uh, for me, oh, I forget it, what it was, what year. I, I believe. No, it's continually believe. That I believe again. That That's why I go back to the scriptures, to believe again. 
Look at this set of text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Once you repent, then you start renewing your faith and you say, I'm a new creation. You, you mean I don't have to be the bitter person I, I am? No, you're a new creation. You mean I don't have to be a drunk womanizer? Mm-mm, you're a new creation. You, you mean I don't have to go at the world in my own power and in my own? No, you actually have the Holy Spirit residing in you. Be filled with him, walk in his power. You're a new creation. New. Used? New? No, new. That's who you are. If you're in here today and you know the Lord, you're a new creation. Just like Jacob had a tendency to go back and live at the old Jacob and try to manipulate this situation, God said, no. So you and I don't have to live in that old lifestyle. We don't. We're new creations. Do we understand that? Do we live? And see, I love how he says this because he tells you who you are. And he says, by the way, all of this is from God. <laughs> who God that's who God is. Who through Christ reconciled the world to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Right there, two verses. Who you are, who God is, and what are we to be doing on earth? It carries on in, eight, in 19 through 21. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So you're telling me God not only changes me, but he wants to employ me in the service similar to his son? Mm-hmm. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. You mean I need to believe again that I am a new creation. God is almighty and sovereign over every situation. There's not one thing happening to me that he, he, he isn't uh, aware of, but he's invisible. I know, and the Bible says he's invisible. He's invisible. But with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, I carry on. And and he's given me a mission. He actually wants me to be the voice, the mouthpiece. That's why, just so we can tie all this together, that's why we put these bags in your seats and we show these videos. It's not just because I'm like, well, we got two minutes to kill before he gets up. Let's think of a video. It's to hopefully, by God's grace, through the mind, into the heart, saying, you know what? I have a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, and their life is a mess, and they don't realize that in Christ there could be a whole new creation. i got to go tell them about this. I just wish I had something, you know, kind of like some visual aid to help me do it. Tell you what, here's a bag, here's an invitation, all sorts of things. Are you on mission with God? Are you a follower of Christ committed to a church, engaged in a culture? Sounds like a mission statement to me. Do you love Jesus? And it's not about how much you read, but it's, man, I can't wait to talk to God this morning and hear from him what he has to tell me. Oh. And I can't wait just to pour out everything that's on my heart. That old hymn goes, oh, about how much we carry if we would just take it to the Lord in prayer. No need to carry it on your back. It was never meant for you to be taken Pray it out. Read. Hear from God. Pray. Speak to God. And go out and proclaim Him to the world. That's what being on mission with God is. It's not, and you're thinking, well, that's not profound. Give me something profound. Okay, one more. Finishing well means resolving to live for God to the end regardless of sin. You saw it up there. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. 
Let us lay aside every weight and every sin, those things that just weigh, weighed us down. Anybody ever run a, I don't know, 5K, 10K marathon? Anyone? Raise your hands high. Ever run? Ever been in a bike race? Yeah. What do you do? You go to the starting line. You say, oh, I got my shoes tied. Do a little stretching. All right. Anybody got the weight vest? Ah, just put that on. Got one at uh, Walmart the other day. 20 bucks. Yeah, 25 pounds. Just going to put it on. You're getting ready to run a race. Yeah, I know. That's silly. What do you mean? Well, you can go faster if you don't have that extra weight. Oh, lay it aside. And sin, which so close, clings so close. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Here's what's so beautiful. And I'll take it back to where we began. Uh, that young man who ran, Derek Redmond had a race set before him. You and I have races set before us, and they don't look the same. Some finish with gold, some silver, some bronze, not Derek Redmond. He didn't know it. He got in the blocks, the favorite. And he was prepared, and he was ready, and he got down there, and 150 meters into it, it didn't happen. Looking to Jesus, how am I going to make it to the end if I, my hamstring pulls up, if I have a limp like Jacob? My life isn't just as perfect as I thought it was going to be. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him. I love that. It wasn't a flippant joy. Happy go Jesus going to the cross. It's not how it was. For the joy set, he saw beyond the pain and the suffering and he sees it and he says, oh, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And yes, he's the greater Benjamin seated at the right hand of God. So, so R is you, you repent and, and then you believe and then you obey. Don't make excuses. I, I, I'm the, and I say, I'm saying it to you. I'm saying it. To, I can make excuses, right? I can get up and I can make excuses. It snowed this morning. The bed has got an electric blanket on it. My driveway, of all the driveways in Eagle, I'm the only driveway that never sees any sun, that one part. And if you don't get it, four inches of ice. You've got to call all your buddies over to do ice chipping discipleship. It happens. So what do I do? <sighs> I know what I'll do. By God's grace and for his glory, put in a little Alster bag, <laughs> just go out there and... Not profound, not over-the-top exciting. And, and that's what these are, repent, believe, obey. You, if you thought you were getting something special today, I think the special aspect of it is it's nothing new. It's the daily Christian life. How, how do you finish well? Do the fundamentals right for the rest of your life. In 2012, for the rest of do the fundamentals right. Finishing well means understanding the reality of death the simplicity of life, that we repent to sin, we believe again, and we obey to the end, knowing who we are, whose we are, and what mission we have on earth. And when you and I do that, I'll end with this, we will be confident. We will take those 
bags to our neighbors and with joy and with confidence we will say i would love for you to come we'll be com- we will not shy away we will be we won't be arrogant arrogant says i am i am something i don't know about god it doesn't matter we won't be arrogant we won't be despondent we won't kind of tiptoe over and be depressed i'm nothing but god may carry may not we'll be confident i am nothing apart from christ but i'm confident and I'm going to finish well. You know, that's what, that's what Derek did. He finished well. He got up and he said, you know what? It's no gold for me, but I'm not going to quit. And I believe, I almost believe this because it's ha- I, no temptation has overtaken me such as is common to you. It's the Rumley-inspired version. That's the same thing. I have a tendency to want to quit. I have a tendency to want to... Uh, relax on certain things. I have a tendency to do that, and so do you. We're all the same. Don't quit. And if your life is tough, I know. Life is tough. And if it's going well, praise God. Keep going. Finish well. How? Go home if you've got to. If not, just keep carrying on. But always know who you are. You are a believer in Jesus, saved by grace. You have an inheritance that is undefiled, imperishable, and will not go away. It's coming to you. And you may not see it this Christmas under the tree. Don't quit. Father, Jacob didn't quit. He had to be roused out of bed to go home to where he should have been, but he went and he led his family well. Father, your son didn't quit. He was in a garden. So overcome by what he was getting ready to do. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't quit. And Father, thank you for, whether he knows it or not, for Derek Redmond who didn't quit. And thank you for that parable that his daddy came. And helped him to the end. That's exactly what you are to us. You're watching us. You're helping us. You're walking right alongside with us. So I pray for myself and for everyone in here that we'd finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.